Last week, a new season of RuPaul's Drag Race kicked off. Unwrap a world of imagination. With 14 new queens who are all game to play. Are you ready to roll the dice? The show's opened doors for many drag performers to sashay their way into mainstream culture and educate us on the art of drag. And one of the most exciting performers is Shangela Laquifa Wadley, also known as DJ Pierce when she's out of drag. After RuPaul, she's probably one of the most influential drag queens in America, but her beginnings were humble. I just did it because I had learned all the single ladies choreography on YouTube and I wanted to do it on stage. <laughs> yes. That's what I, I had a black leotard and a bouffant. Remember when Beyonce was wearing the Sasha Pierce? Baby, I had this piece up and the hair hanging down the back. I said, that's me. I want to do it on the stage. Who knew that 10 years later, I'd be performing single ladies and more for Beyonce herself and that now I'd be traveling America helping other people to realize and get that same feeling that I got the first time that I was on stage. Welcome to Pop Culture. I'm Bridget Armstrong. Today, we're talking with Shangela about the history of drag, her own journey, and how her latest project, the HBO docuseries We're Here, is expanding ideas about who does drag and who is for. If you know Shangela, it's probably from RuPaul's Drag Race, a show where contestants compete in these weekly challenges where they show off a variety of skills, from acting to dancing to comedy to design. There are these fabulous runway challenges where the queens are completely responsible with coming up with these over-the-top, very fashionable looks. And each week, contestants have to lip-sync for their lives or their legacies in these amazing lip-sync battles. It's basically TV's most rigorous talent competition, in drag. And Shangela's had one of the most interesting journeys in the show's long history. And I'll just say, it didn't start out promising. She was the first queen eliminated on season two of the show. Shangela, you have only just begun, but I have a feeling we haven't seen the last of you yet. Good luck, my dear. Thank you. Now sashay away. She was back in season three, but... Shangela. No one can say you didn't try your hardest. And it's that drive that will take you far. Live your dreams, mama. Now, sashay away. In All-Star Season 3, Shangela did make it to the Final Four. But many fans, including myself, feel like she was robbed once again. Shangela. Phoebe. I'm sorry, my dears, but this is not your time. You are and will always be all-stars. And while she's never won a season of Drag Race, she's definitely made her mark on the show as a fan favorite. In 2019, Vulture even named her the second most powerful drag queen in America. Step aside, I'm back again. So hype, so lit, adrenaline. I'm Shangela. Say what? Started as a baby, now I'm all grown up. Gonna take this verse just to let you know. Never listen to the haters. Be a pro, because I worked my way. Nowadays, her reach goes far beyond Drag Race. Shangela's toured all over the world performing and has released music including the hit single Working Girl. Shangela's also guest starred on TV shows including Bones and Glee and landed roles in movies like A Star is Born alongside Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. 
Shangela's even performed at the GLAAD Awards for Beyonce, where she did a medley of Beyonce hits and got a standing ovation from the Queen Bee herself. You could say Shangela's rise came during a golden age of drag, but it's a performance art with a long, long history, and it's complicated. Here's the deal. There have always been men dressing up as either the opposite gender or shaking off gender norms and going out there and entertaining in a creation outside of themselves. For so much of Western history, from ancient Greece to Shakespeare's England, women weren't allowed to act and perform on stage. So wherever there was a stage, you find men on it playing women. But the history of what we think of as modern drag goes back to the late 1800s. The first person to call themselves a queen of drag was probably a formerly enslaved man named William Dorsey Swan who held secret drag balls in Washington, D.C. in the 1880s. In the vaudeville era of the early 1900s, so-called female impersonators were pretty common and pretty mainstream. But as the century went on, drag got associated with gay culture, and laws were passed criminalizing it. So it went more underground, but not that far underground. The art of drag evolved in the nightclubs of New York and San Francisco in the 40s and 50s. And it was the performers in those clubs who led the way in the famous protests for gay and trans rights in the 1960s, including the Stonewall Uprising in New York in 1969. Then came the explosion of drag balls and ballroom culture in the 70s and 80s, where mostly young, queer, Black, and Latinx people organized their own incredibly fabulous events. It's a bit being gay. And that's that's not what it's like in the world. It's not what it's like in the world. You know, a ball is ours. We prepare for a ball. We, we may spend more time preparing for a ball than anybody would spend preparing for anything else. Exactly. You know, a ball so is true. like our world, it's you know. Balls ball. to us is as close to reality as we're going to get to all of that fame and fortune and stardom and spotlights. And around the same time, drag queens started showing up on our TV and movie screens as their full, unapologetic selves. Like when Lori Shannon played recurring character Beverly LaSalle in All in the Family. I was telling your wife, Mr. Bugger, I'm no lady. Oh. Well, listen, how you ain't in this 50 is no business of mine. I would just say thank you, miss, uh, unless you as good as like to be called miss. Why don't you call me Mr. Entertainers. Bold, brave, creative entertainers as gay men, women, transgender individuals, like so many people um, have been entertaining in drag. And I'm just like in awe that I'm able to be a part of this legacy and this family of people who have shaken off what has been considered, you know, normal in society and gone out there and followed their path, whether it's to entertain or just express themselves in drag. And one performer Shangela called out is super influential, is the iconic queen, Divine. Divine was dangerous. Part outlaw, part serial killer. You, my dear, are dead. Divine grew up with director John Waters and starred in a lot of Waters' cult favorite movies like Pink Flamingos and Hairspray. Divine was big, loud, wild, and most importantly, she was always in on the joke. She wasn't the punchline. John Waters started to make films for our own enjoyment and to keep us out of trouble. And that's how Divine got born. He stood for anybody that didn't fit in, that exaggerated what everybody hated, turned it into a style, and won. 
And there were a lot of other movies that also helped bring drag into mainstream. Totally. You know, I think for me and growing up, I remember watching Tu Wong Fu for the first time. That was my first introduction to like drag queens, especially on a big screen. Meet Vita Boem. Enchanté. Why are you crying? Maybe she just found out Menudo broke up. Miss Noxima Jackson. Jesse's daughter. And their protege, Chichi Rodriguez. I'm the Latino Marilyn Monroe. I got more legs than a bucket of chicken. Wesley Snipes, Patrick Swayze, and John Leguizamo. None of those actors were part of the LGBTQ plus community, but they were definitely allies in the way that they portray these roles. And drag started to be humanized. One actor in that movie who did become an LGBTQ icon was RuPaul. Today's self-proclaimed queen of drag came on the scene in the late 80s after gaining recognition as a performer in the NYC club scene. Then in the early 90s, RuPaul released a dance album, Supermodel of the World, which brought the phrases Sashay Chante and You Better Work into the cultural lexicon forever. Since then, RuPaul's made numerous appearances in films, including Crooklyn and the acclaimed documentary Wigstock, along with a number of TV appearances from Sabrina the Teenage Witch to Sister Sister. Excuse me, I'd like to speak to Marjay. I am she. <laughs> well, I am me. <laughs> Lisa Landry, designer of haute couture. Oh, what house are you with? <laughs> the uh, House of Pancakes. RuPaul even had a variety show, The RuPaul Show, kept making music, and became the first face of a major MAC cosmetics line. But it's probably Drag Race and the TV empire world of wonder that's had the largest cultural impact. 14 seasons, a bunch of spinoffs, an annual drag convention tied to the show, and a massive and increasingly mainstream audience. And through Drag Race, and especially my experience on Drag Race, people got to know not only Shangela, but also the man behind the makeup, DJ. And I think that totally has changed people's perceptions of drag queens. And now, because of the show RuPaul's Drag Race, because of a show like We're Here, you get to see people as fully realized people and characters, and not just uh, one note or a stereotype of what you may have considered them as. I think that's really changed the perceptions and allowed people to be more open to the world of drag and not just think that it's something that is so foreign to them. You learn that drag queens could be your brother, your sister, your mother, your uncle, your best friend, your neighbor, your church piano player, honey, everybody down the street. And but people would have never known that maybe without shows that kind of helped pave the way. On Shangela's latest project, HBO's We're Here. We're here. Work. She and fellow former Drag Race alums, Eureka O'Hara and Bob the Drag Queen, take the art of drag to small towns across America. Let's talk about We're Here. Let's talk about it. <laughs> when we think about shows like Drag Race, we think about some of the other shows in other ways that like drag has become mainstream, we can forget that there are a lot of places in the United States where Brag, but also just um, understanding and accepting LGBTQ queer people, like, is not a part of the culture. And on your show, that's where you're going. Watertown, South Dakota is where we are. Selma. Feels to me like one of the most frozen in time towns that we visited so far. We are in Spartanburg. Oh, country South Carolina. <laughs> We're in literally my favorite place in the world, Hawaii. 
We're in Kona on the big island. We just got to Grand Junction. What is there to do around here? Greyhound Station. Oh, she told you to leave. She told you to leave. You're going to these places, and in some of these instances, you're getting side eyes. You're getting people who are really, like, uncomfortable, right? With, like, drag, with, with all of it. Yeah. And yet you're confronting it. Like, how do you have the patience and the tolerance and the, all of the, all that's needed to, to talk to people? Well, I'll tell you, Bridget, our show, We're Here, is a slice of life. It is a real-life docuseries in which me and my sisters by the drag queen, Eureka, we go to these small conservative towns across America, and we help to amplify people's voices. We walk in their shoes along with them, alongside them. And the reason I think that I personally can, can do this and do it confidently and with such love and grace and patience is because I lived it. Girl, you know, I grew up in Paris, Texas, okay? A very small town in the northeast of Texas where when I was growing up, there was hardly any visibility, positive visibility for LGBTQIA plus people, okay? And I didn't see it in my community. And I sure didn't see it on television and in films. It was very, very rare. So I started to think that who I was as a person, being a gay person, was not something that I should be proud of. You know, I was going to church three times a week with my granny. And I loved it. However, at times we would have guest pastors come in, you'd hear messages about homosexuality is a sin and it's wrong, you're going to burn in hell. And I would sit there and be like, oh my God, well, I'm the gay one. And I feel like they're directing, either they're directing this message to me or, you know, at the time I was thinking, am I wrong? Am I a damned person just for being who I am? And if there had been a show like we're here at that time, then maybe I would have felt a lot less isolated a lot less alone. I would have doubted myself less. And I would have come into, you know, this moment of greatness that I feel for myself because I love myself and accept myself so much in this moment. I would have run into that a lot earlier in my life, you know? And that's why I think it's so important that we have this show. And I'm so grateful. Oh, I'm so grateful that we get to go out here and uh, especially in the first and second seasons of this show, go across America and partner with people whose lives are valid. And that their stories and their voices deserve to be amplified and shared. Because trust me, it, you don't have to live in a small town to be able to connect with these stories. You don't have to be gay or part of the LGBTQ community to connect with these stories. We all know what it feels like to be discriminated against, to be um, you know, side-eyed for just being who you are or what you wear or how you choose to walk through this life. And especially in the uh, not only Spartanburg, in all the cities that we went to in the second season, but really the Selma episode touched me so much because, you know, there's this, I grew up Southern Baptist black, okay? Shangela is black, hallelujah. I'm biracial, but you know, I was raised black. So I know that experience being black, you're already discriminated against in a, a large way in this country. And then now let's layer on top of that, you being gay. And then, so you're being discriminated against for one thing, and then all of a sudden something else as well. And you're just pushed down so much. And I just remember there's such, there's such resilience in the city of Selma, you know, not only because of what they've gone through historically, but the people there are really strong. And a lot of times in small places, small conservative towns, you think, oh, it's going to be, you know, no one there has love for the LGBTQ community because it's so small. But what we found and what we continue to find in our show is there are pockets of love in some of the most unlikely places. You just got to go looking for it. And sometimes if there's not a gay bar or a gay resource center or somewhere where people can congregate to show their love 
and support for this community, then you think it doesn't exist. But that's why we go there. We produce these one-night-only drag shows. And yes, ma'am, you're right. We get side-eyes. We get dissension. We get people who are not supportive of us. But then we also find people who are. And that's what this show is all about. It's about the love. You find people who are very welcoming and you also help people's families welcome them, right? So we're talking about the um, Selma episode and the person you worked with, Joseph, he had a really traumatizing story. And that whole episode, actually, Mm -hmm. like everyone there, there was a lot of resilience, but there was a lot of um, sad stories and a lot of trauma um, that it sort of shaped and sort of come into these people's lives. But you work with Joseph, who was able to like invite his mother to the show. I hear that in addition to your friends, who we love already, Hollywood, but I hear you have a very special guest that's here tonight. Who is that? That is my mom. Oh, where's mama? Where's mama? Which was a really touching moment. Could you talk about sort of working with him and then getting to this like moment of acceptance? Joseph was so scared. Like we see it in in the show. He was so afraid that his mother wasn't going to accept him. It was just a joyful moment of like her being there. I am so happy that you're here. I am so elated that you're here. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. Isn't it interesting, Bridget, that we can be so strong in so many aspects of our life, and then there are certain things or certain experiences where we become like a child again. And that's what I felt like with Joseph. Joseph is a very intelligent, very accomplished, very professional and hardworking individual especially in real estate and in his personal life. You saw the things that he had built for himself and the, and the things that he owned. And, and he's really an awesome guy. And then when it came to telling his mother that he was doing drag or that he wanted to do drag or talking about personal things in his life about being gay and, and bringing her to this show, it was like he was five years old again. He was like, I don't, we don't talk about that. You know? And that's, you know, that's so much a part of my experience too. A lot of times you think, okay, you go home for the holidays being a gay person. You go, I'm going to let everybody talk about their relationships, but I'm not going to talk about mine. Mm -mm, We don't. Or I bring someone home and that's my friend, not my boyfriend, not someone I'm dating. It's very a hush-hush. And in Selma, and specifically a lot of times in the Black community, in all communities, not just the Black community, but sometimes we see it more in our community about the DL experience, right? And people not being comfortable sharing all the parts of who they are. And because... You know, Joseph had been a part of this relationship where he just got mixed up with the wrong guy. And the guy ended up tragically shooting him, you know, literally holding him at gunpoint and then firing the gun and shooting him in the arm. He was very traumatized by this. Before we get any further into Joseph's story, just want to say the following clip discusses his own DL or down low experience with a partner, which involves acts of domestic violence that might be triggering to listen to. It was kind of an ultimatum. Either you give me the life that I deserve or I'm gone. And you said I'm out. I, at the time, I had a, a nine millimeter pointed in my face, so. He, he, wait, hold on. The DL boyfriend mm-hmm. comes in this house mm-hmm. with you. Oh my God. So I was thrown into this situation, was like, we're gonna have this conversation now. There's nothing you can do about it. And that's when he pulled out the gun. And it was like, if I can't have you, no one will have you, and so forth and so forth, with a gun in my face being shot. What 
Yeah. He was actually aiming for my head and I threw my arm up like this and my arm caught the bullet. I don't want to talk about this no more. <laughs> Let me give you a, here. I don't want to talk about this no more. We don't have to. We don't have to. We don't have to. And having gone through this tragic experience, Shangela can only imagine how it could have affected Joseph's outlook on living his truth. Having someone who's DL that's hiding you, I can only imagine how he has dealt with that. He's created a, a palace for himself. I have this lovely home in the cars, and really, I'm good. You feel shame. That type of shame trickles into so many different parts of our lives and probably made him question, is being gay something that I could ever be proud of? So doing this show was a breakthrough for him, but also for the relationship between him and his mother, as you see on there. And it is about being able to own all the parts of who you are and say to anybody, including some of the closest, most loved people to you, I choose me in this moment. I love me. I'm proud of me. And I want you to be too. But I can only show that I'm really proud of myself and I love myself when I can tell you, this is me. Love me or don't love me, but I'm going to still be me. And I'm going to share it with you. And that was the bravery that he had. And look, his mom ended up coming to the show. She was like, hey, gave a big old hug. It, sometimes we have to give people the benefit of the doubt. They may accept us more than we think that they will. And that's what he did on his journey. It won't always end up like that. You know, remember uh, my drag daughter in the second episode, Andre in Temecula. We wanted his mom to be able to come to that show. What would you want out of this performance in the end? What's the takeaway? Her to just show up. For her to just see me in a completely different light. Mm -hmm. He wanted that love from his mom. He was, he cared for her so much, you know, and, and she wasn't the best health-wise, you know? And he was there, like, helping, being there for her, like, shopping for her and everything. And he wanted her to show up for him in that same way. But she didn't. And to this day, she still doesn't want to talk about the gay stuff. With my dad, he was the one who was comforting me while I was sobbing, crying, while my mom was yelling at me when I came out when I was 14. He looked at me and said, the reason why your mom is like this is because this is how like, we grew up in the Philippines. As much as I don't agree with her opinion and I shouldn't, I shouldn't pay any mind to it, she, we still have like you no know, disagreements about just how loud I am, how, how out I am. It is such a big part of me. And that's not something that I'm really ever going to apologize for. Or I shouldn't apologize for Do you it. feel like you apologize for it, though? Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like she respects me, you know, who I am as a person, because she still wants change. She doesn't believe in it. It's part of her belief. And that's what I told him. Sometimes they will show up for you and change, and sometimes they won't. Because guess what? This is real life. This is not a scripted show. We're here. It's not a scripted show. We can't put a pretty bow on the end of every episode. But one thing that I walked away from that episode, and still, I talk to Andre to this day. And I'll tell you one thing. He's now moved to Florida. He's living out there. He's working for Disney Child. He's living his best gay life. And, and as he should, as a young 23, 24-year-old, owning himself and learning that every person in your life that you love is not going to love you back in the same way. But you got to love yourself and keep it pushing.
So you are dealing with some really heavy um, situations and really emotional situations. And I think about the scenes where you're sitting here and you're listening to people's stories and you, you're counseling them and you're encouraging them. And I'm wondering what you do to keep yourself going and to recharge um, and to be able to bring that positivity to these sometimes really heavy, sad moments. Mm. Well, can I keep it real with you, Bridget? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to tell you. If I was not the person who I am today, if I had not worked on myself to become the person who I am today, if I wasn't still working on myself to become the version of the person that I want to be, you know, that best version of myself every day, I would not be able to sit in those chairs. I would not be able to sit with those amazing people and and hear their stories and connect with them and partner with them and be able to open myself and my stories to be vulnerable with them. So they can trust me and be honest and vulnerable with me in a short amount of time. I mean, we do this entire episode. Each one is about 10 days, but we're having to connect with them. We're having to partner with them. We want them to reach this goal that they've set for themselves. And then we also have to produce a one night only drag show. So I want you prepared and ready to turn the party. So all those things we do in 10 days. But if I wasn't, you know, if I wasn't interested in being that person that I wish someone to be honest, that someone has been for me, I've had many mentors in my life. If I wasn't who I am today, I wouldn't be able to sit there and partner with my kids. I want to ask you, what's been your most challenging moment while filming the show? Ooh. So when we're putting together a show, we're putting it together from the perspective of a drag queen. And we want it to be heard and we want it to have to be listened to. You know what I mean? Not just, okay, we're going to hear you, but no, we have, we're producers too. So we got to be listened to. And I remember putting together that first show and it was so difficult because I didn't think that people were going to show up. We were in this small community. You see in the first episode, we go into the store and drag. A man walks in the store and turns around and walks out and comes back in, tells the store owner, I'm never going to shop here again because you let these freaks up in here. You can tell the money's late. I'm not. I'll never buy anything in here again. All these freaking freaks. Okay, well, see ya. And I was thinking, oh, Lord, ain't nobody coming. And how is this going to work? And that was a challenge for me because, you know, I'm Shangela. I've traveled the world, honey. I performed on six out of seven continents. I worked to be in this moment. They come to see Mama, and Mama loves a good show. You performed in front of Beyonce. Let's just be come clear. On. Let's just come be clear, on. okay? So I was okay. like, baby. Okay, so am I going to be in an empty room? And I didn't want to give that to my daughter. I knew how hard Hunter had worked. And I was like trying to program the show, but trying to still work with him and his family and his dad and his mom. And it was just a lot. And it was our first time as well. So we were just pulling stuff left and right. But I remember the biggest challenge always is us being able to rise to the moment that the kids deserve the people participating in the show deserve. And thank God. I remember Bob was like, we need to leave space for the people to come up to the stage. I said, baby, there ain't gonna be no people rushing no stage. Let's be happy that they're, just bring the chairs right up close. And he was like, you watch. And he was right. I was wrong. And you, know, you know, I ain't usually very wrong, especially when Bob is right. I was wrong. But that's my Bob. <laughs> she was right. Wow. People packed that place so much. We had to turn people away. And that's when we knew we had something special for this show, that there were pockets of love in the most unlikely places. 
it has this transformative power because we see people like you help people who are who want to be in drag, people who never thought about it. There are people whose brothers who wouldn't ever think about putting on like high heels are like doing this. And it you see on many of the episodes, of course, there are times where people don't come around, but on many of the episodes, people have a complete change of heart and like their minds and their hearts are like open now to to accepting. And it it comes through like the love that you're showing, but it also is coming through drag. So I'm wondering, what is it about drag that just has this ability to like bring people together? You know, drag makes people step outside of their comfort zone, a, a lot of people. And whether you're the person in drag or you're experiencing someone that you know in drag, and, and it's just empowering because you're facing a fear a lot of times for these people that work with us. And they're shaking off the judgment that they may be receiving from others. And you're going, you know what? Today, I'm going to choose not to let other people's opinions or idea about me direct how I'm going to go through my life and the experiences I'm going to have and the choices I'm going to make. I am going to say, today, I'm going to do something I've never done before. And I'm going to do it well and I'm going to commit to it. And it doesn't matter to me how much that this shakes me up. I think that's very empowering. When we can do something outside of our comfort zone and then afterwards you go, I did that. I did that. Look at me. And that's what it is. It's not about gender expression or identity. It's not about sexuality. This is about shaking off what you think society says how you should behave, look, react, act. And you're going to go, I'm going to do something that's going to shake this up. Because at the root of all this and the root of our show is about love, acceptance, respect for everybody. Okay. And inclusion. And that's what this is about. And that's what I'm so excited and just happy. I'm just so happy that our show gets to represent this and see it in the world. We talked about how Drag Race sort of helped drag become uh, mainstream. And now here we are, 10 plus years later, right? Where we have shows like We're Here that's introducing drag as a form of, of love for people. Where do you see or where do you want drag to be in 10 years? Ooh, ooh, now I get to pull out my Miss Cleo that I didn't get to do on Snatch Game because it was horrible and I couldn't get the accent right. <laughs> Call me now, follow me now. Call me now. Uh, yes, girl, yes. Well, you know what, looking forward into the future, my dream for drag and, and really for our whole community, our culture, is that we have even greater understanding uh, of the importance of inclusion and owning all the parts of who you are and loving all those parts of who you are and loving everybody else. You know, over this last year, two years of a pandemic life where we had to be so separated from each other, we had to live in such fear. Anytime anybody coughed or sneezed, you're like, what's happened? We've seen such loss in our world that I hope that we remember the value of community, of support, of love. I hope that in 10 years, even 20 or 30, girl, that drag becomes not so much a niche thing. You know, like, ooh, they're doing drag. How? That's crazy. That's different. And it becomes even more ingrained 
you know, seeing people live outside of what society says that you should. This is what a man should look like. This is what a woman should like. This is what they should do. And that's it. And I hope that people just embrace, continue to embrace diversity and, and individuality. Really, that's what I hope. And also, I hope that Shangela, okay, gets maybe runs for vice president or even president one day in and out of drag. Who knows? <laughs> Love it, Shangela for president. Thank you so much for talking to me. You can watch the entire first and second seasons of We're Here streaming on HBO Max. It's really a great watch, I totally recommend it. And that's it for us today. I'm Bridget Armstrong, host and senior producer of the show. And I work with an all-star team to make it possible. Alicia Key is the show's producer. Andrew Calloway is our senior engineer. The Skim Senior Director of Audio is Graylin Brashear. Be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend about the show. And we'll be back next week with the all-new episode.